Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 7. We are going to look back into how we can come, we can overcome our victorious in our Christian lives every day. It's a struggle. How can I overcome? I have a lot of struggles in my life. How can I be victorious? And these are the words Paul speaks about it. If you have read the last chapter, chapter 7, Paul dealt, it is highly impossible to overcome our fleshly deeds, our sinful nature. But when it comes to chapter 8, it says we can overcome sin, we can overcome fleshly deeds as we live in the world as Christians. Not by our strength, but a strength that is available to each of us if you trusted in Christ outside of us. So if we join that outside strength, yes, it is possible. The theme, uh, I would like to introduce the theme, I'll come back to that. A story is told of uh, an old dog that fell into a well of a farmer. And the farmer thought, I'm not using the well. Anyhow, this dog, it's hard for me to bring the dog out. Anyhow, it's old dog. So let me, I don't want the dog to stay there and to die. Therefore, he took a shovel and started putting the dirt into it so that the dog will be covered and will be dead and he will not he would not need neither the well nor the dog. So he started shoveling. The dog did not understand first why my owner, such a good owner, is doing that. But every time he took a shovel and did it, although in the beginning the dog was historical, and then thought for a moment and said, okay, let me do this. So every time he put the dirt in the shovel, the dog shook off the dust came a little step forward. See that? So overcoming is not easy. Your life is going to be harder. You're going to be beaten up with the temptations, with the tests, with the hardship. So every time the shovel of dirt came, it shook off, came out. And then slowly, every time, afterwards the farmer saw, the dog was already way up. See that? So that is how we need to overcome. This is a story, good story, but that's how it happens. A shovel of dirt falls on you. It's going to hurt you, and you will be dirty. And, but anyhow, we will overcome if we do that. The theme that I'm going to be speaking to you this morning is the inheritance of overcomers. The inheritance of overcomers. Now, when we overcome, God is going to give us the inheritance, the blessings, our position that is going to be forever and ever. There are three things that I would like to talk to you this morning. Uh, this will be my outline, uh, which you can note it. A battle to fight in the first two verses, verses 12 to 13. And then being sons of God, if we are born into the family of God, which the text that we have read a minute ago, being the sons of God, what are the privileges we got as the children of sons of God? And then third, the birthrights, our birthrights. We are born into the family. If you're born into the family of God, you do have some birthrights. 
some privileges, and it is those privileges that we are going to see. Let's go back to the first one, a battle to fight in verse 12 and 13. It says here, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. The general thinking of Christians is once we are saved, they say, I'm saved. I live my life the way I want to be. It's okay. There's no way that I can fight. I will submit to the flesh, but I will wait for the heaven. That's how a lot of Christians think. There are two sides of Christian lives. We have heavenly comfort from the Father always when we are in need. And also, because we follow Jesus Christ, our lifestyle is different from the world. And as a result, we fight against those things, fleshly deeds. We have three enemies, as John pointed out in John's epistle. We have flesh, the world, and Satan. So we fight against, we wage war against the, against the flesh. That's why Paul says, we are not debtors to the flesh. We fight. Christian life is a battle. I want you to understand it. It's not a hospital, by the way. You're not here to be comforted all through the day, all through the year. Yes, there is a comfort that goes, but it's much more beyond that. You, if you're born into the family of God, born again experience. It is a life to be fought. You're a warrior. No matter how wise you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter where you are from, which country you are from, whether you're from Nebraska, you're from Las Vegas, India, England, doesn't make a difference. You're born into the family of God. You are in the war. Right. You're in the war. Okay. You're debt free. Amen. Paul says you're debt free. There is no obligation to the flesh. Right. No obligation to the flesh. You have read this seventh chapter. And seventh chapter had been preached to you. You know what Paul said? He said, I don't do the good that I wanted to do. I am incapable of doing the good. Did you ever feel felt like that? He said, I'm incapable of doing good. And then he cries out. In chapter 7, verse 24, says, What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? The flesh, who will deliver? Paul gave up. And then he beautifully says in verse 25 of chapter 7, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. Thanks be to God. There is no way. Our flesh is our biggest enemy. A lot of times when the trouble comes, we say, Well, it's not me, it's the devil. No, it's the flesh. Right. It's the flesh. He says in verse 12, But now... We are not debtors to the flesh. So we don't need to live in the flesh. In the past, we didn't have a choice because we're not capable. We're not able to do it. But now we have a choice. By the Spirit of God, we fight against because we're in the battle. We fight against the desires of the flesh because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we are not in subject or in control of the flesh. Let me give you the differences between the past and the present. In the past, we are debtors to the flesh. We are slaves to the deeds of the flesh. We want to do good, but we could not do as Paul said. And then 
we are totally in the realm of the flesh, which means we are controlled by the flesh. You see that? The three things? We are debtors to the flesh, means we could not do. We are slaves to the deeds of the flesh. We are in the realm of the flesh. But now, it's totally different in the present. At present, we are not debtors to the flesh. Not slaves to the deeds of the flesh. We are in the realm of not the flesh, but the spirit. You see the three big differences we have? Let me explain to you. Past and the present. We are debtors to the flesh in the past, but now we are not debtors to the flesh. We are slaves to the deeds of the flesh in the past. Now we are not slaves to the deeds of the flesh. In the past... We are, in the, we are in the realm of the flesh, but now we are in the realm of the spirit. Debtors means we are obligated to do something to the flesh. But God had freed us from it. God had freed us from it. God had freed us from it. In India, let me give you an example from India. There are people who borrow money. Uh, may not be, might have been done even now, but especially in the past, a few years back. Once you borrow the money, if you don't pay the money to the owner and you die, the debt is passed on to their kids. You see that? So if I borrowed money for Tim, I work for him until I pay off my debt. I have no rights. Whatever he tells me, that I'll do it. When I die, my son will get the debt. So he will become his slave. Yeah. I, he will do whatever he wa- what, whatever he says. There's no right. That's what Paul means here. We are debtors to the flesh. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 24 to 27, the story is told. Of a master settling his accounts. He called one of his servants who owed a lot of money. And said put him in the prison because he didn't pay any money. And the slave pleaded. Forgive me. Give me one more chance that I will pay. And the master forgave all the debt freely. And made him debt free. And then he goes on to say. Because you are debt free. Meaning. You don't need to walk according to the flesh. The flesh will tempt you, but you need to fight the battle. You need to take things into action. You're in charge. God is doing his own thing, but you got to make your own decision. You got to fight. That's why it's a battle. And because you're fighting against the flesh, what if if you don't fight? What if, if if you're acting like you're fighting? Paul gives in verse 13 a warning and a comfort. In verse 13 he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you die. You will die. Not you die. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See the two words here? You will live. You will die. How you will live? By the spirit that is in you. By the spirit that is in you whom God has given you the Holy Spirit. That's the comfort. 
What is the warning? The warning is, if you don't do it, then you will die. Now, it's a very tricky thing to explain here. You live according to the flesh. Refers to your sinful behavior, a sinful lifestyle. Then you will die. It's, he's not talking about the physical death. He's talking about the eternal death, the second death. John Owen, a pastor, uh, a Puritan pastor from 1600, said, by killing, be killing sin or it will kill you. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Now, what is the warning here? The warning is there are a lot of Christians that are here, that are in the church as a whole, any country. They're not really Christians, by the way. That's a warning here. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. If you do not have anybody, it can be a believer, it can be a preacher. On the final day, a lot of, will, lot of them will come and say, Lord, did I not prophesy? Did I not heal? Yes, you were there, but you don't have my spirit. That's the warning. See that? That's the warning. You exactly do like the other believer who has the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit, but you think you're a Christian. You exactly do all the good things like the other Christian does. Maybe you do more good things than the other Christian do who has the Holy Spirit. The only difference is you don't have his spirit in you. Amen. How do I find out? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How do you find out? I don't know. Nobody knows. But God knows. That's the warning. Because he gives a warning here, I need to warn you too. I need to warn you too. If suppose you think you're a Christian, you don't have the spirit of God. You're not born again. See that? That's a danger. That's a warning. You will die second death. You talk about a lot of good deeds you have done. And Paul said, even if I give my body to be burned, I give all that I have, all my money. It's no use. Sad to say there are a lot of Christians who think they're Christians, but they are not. I'm sorry. If you are that kind of person here, let the Holy Spirit bear witness to you. Let your spirit bear witness to when the Holy Spirit talks to you. But you know for your heart. When I was in a Bible college, I had a junior, uh, three years junior, he came. We had the spiritual retreat over, and the preacher preached about, uh, about uh, being born again, and then accept the call of God. Then he came to me and said, you know whether we are born again or not. But we know the rhythms. So why he has to talk about it? See that in a subtle way. Think about that man who assumes later on to be a pastor of a church. What will he teach? How will his church members be? How will his church members be? So the warning is, you will die if you don't have the Spirit of God. If you're not born into the family of God, you will die. That is, you will experience the second death. 
I plead, every one of you, if you're born again, you know Holy Spirit bears witness with you, and you know it. But if you're not born again, if you do not have the Spirit of God, I would like to emphasize you once again. I know I'm repeating myself, but I would like to emphasize you that check your heart. If you're born again, you don't need to doubt. But if you're not, on that final day, you will escape that eternal death. You may not like my preaching right now. That's okay. That's okay. Ten people may not like it, but one may escape. You possibly die. No, no. You will die. That's a warning. Paul says. And then he gives a comfort here. A comfort to all those that have been saved. The comfort is, you will live. You will live. Which he carries it on to the following verses, which I'll explain to you later on. You will live. You will live. You will have eternal life. You will have eternal life. How you'll have eternal life? God's comfort is with you. When you fight against your flesh, and even the devil, and the world, the Lord will comfort you. I'm with you in your struggle. Your struggle is not new. I have been in that struggle. I was in that struggle. I waged war against the devil, the flesh, and everything. And you're in the same war. I can comfort you, and he will comfort you. And he will comfort you. Paul said in Colossians 3, Verses 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. That is idolatry. Friends, we need to reorient ourselves in line with the Spirit. That's my first point. Let's move to the second point. Being sons of God, I need to move fast as the time is going. <laughs> when I start preaching, I would remember the time, but when I started preaching, I don't know when I started. <laughs> Tim, that's the problem always. And my wife comes up to me after the sermon is over, after going home, boy, you preached one hour, ten minutes today. <laughs> So, are we supposed to close it by 10.10 or something? <laughs> Honestly, I lost. Number two, being sons of God. That's our second point. Verses 14 and 15. Paul says, we are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. That's where we stop it. We leave that last part to the next section. We are sons of God if you are led by the spirit. If you are born into the family of God, how do you fight? Because you have God's spirit with you, he will strengthen you. He will lead you. And that's evidence for you to be the children of God. 
That's how we fight against the flesh. Not with our own strength, but by the spirit who lives in us, who is more powerful than anybody else that's in the world. In other words, we live under the control and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. One commentator said, the relation of the spirit to the sons of God is very much like a shepherd to the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep to green pastures. The pathways may be rough, maybe hills, maybe valleys, stones, but the shepherd leads the goalies to the nicest place, to the green pastures. So the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, would lead us, would lead us in the right path. Unless we are continually being led, it is used in the Greek language in the present tense. Unless I am being led today. You made mistakes yesterday. Forget about it. Ask God for you. Ask God for the forgiveness. Come back today. Let you and I be led by the Spirit. We are sons of God. Number one, God created us. We are sons of God. And number two, it is not only by creation. He purchased us by his own blood. By his own blood. Therefore, it doesn't matter what color, what language, how you speak English in totally different ways. Doesn't matter of the British accent or Indian accent, a Southern accent or Western accent. Doesn't matter. We are purchased by his own blood. We are in the same family. That's why somebody had said the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than our own family blood. The phrase, uh, the phrase, the sons of God, which is also children of God, in four, in four verses, was 14, 15, 16, 17. You can make a note. used four times here in these four verses. Two times sons of God and two times children of God. It has nothing to do with the gender. If you're talking about gender, about the thing I'm not mentioned about the daughter of God, no, 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 don't worry, you're already included. Nothing to do with the gender. It talks about the intimacy of relationship. Paul said, if you're in Christ, neither male nor female. Women are included as sons of God. As just a men are called as the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? We are called the bride of Christ. That's why women are included in it. Maybe probably why Paul doesn't include the daughters of God is probably back in those days during the Roman Empire. Empress were ruling. The women not only didn't have voting right as it was in the States until, you know, it was gone. But back in those days, the women didn't have any property rights. If parents don't have any sons, well, they don't have any property rights, by the way. So they can't claim it. That's probably is the reason why, as a son, you have rights. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, we are not slaves in verse 15, because we didn't receive the spirit of slavery. In the past, we are slaves to the flesh. We were doing whatever the flesh says, because we don't have the spirit. We don't have the power. But now, we are not slaves, because we are sons of God. We are not slaves. We don't have to. 
We have a choice to yield every day. Every day to love choice. And then in verse 15 he says, we are adapted. How did we become the children of God? We are adapted. In the Jewish culture, there is no, there is no significance of adaption. But when Paul wrote, it was the Roman culture. The adopted sons have all the power. Let me give you a historical example of it. We all know about Julius Caesar. After Julius Caesar's murder, his adopted son, Octavius, refused to give up his adoption as Caesar's son. Julius Caesar's son wanted. I don't know why he adopted Octavius as his son, but he refused to give after his father's murder. Because you get all the inheritance. And also if somehow, if that is possible to somebody to take off his adoption, there will be a revolt by the civil people. He refused to give. That means he was asked to give away his adoption. He said, no. We are adapted into the family of God. Why? Because we were enemies of God once. But now we are adapted into the family of God. We'll come back to that last section of it in the third point. Let's go to the third point. Our birthrights and privileges. Uh, I can, there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this thing. The Greek word, adaption, occurs five times in the New Testament. And each, every time, only Paul used this word adaption. That means Paul was emphasizing adaption. What is adaption? It is a legal transfer from one family and situation into a different family. Before I accepted Christ, you and I accepted Christ, we belong to the world. We're enemies with Christ. Now, when God adopted me through Jesus Christ, my relationship, my legal rights have been transferred into God's family. Nowadays, adoption is different. You all know. If you don't have kids, you go to adoption center, you apply it, and you do it. Uh, in India, you have a choice. Uh, of course, even now you have a choice. What kind of uh, a kid you want, and uh, you want physically challenged. You choose. You see, we choose if we want to adapt kids now. In the past, that's the present. In the past, adoption was a practice ordinarily confined to childless parents. Well-to-do people. They have a lot of property. They want a child. The young adults who had shown themselves fit and able to carry a family name in a worthy manner. So when in the past, it's like present in a way, but there's a lot of difference. Nowadays, we do it. We choose according to our taste, adoption. Back in those days, you're a wealthy man. You're adopting somebody. You want to adopt somebody that is able, capable to maintain his rich estate and also to carry out his name to a higher level. That means you are a capable person. But from God's point of view, adoption is totally different from now 
or in the past. J.I. Packer, whom you all know, in a book called Knowing God, which was one of my favorite books, he talks about adoption of God like this, let me quote. God adapts us out of free love. There you have it. Not because our character unworthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the very opposite. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting sinners, you and me, as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus, sounds foolish and wild. I don't know what is that word, ludicrous. That's why I use the word foolish. I can't pronounce that well, sorry. That's my word, not Jay Baker's word. Yeah, that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. Man, I'm about to fall down. See that? It's not because of our character. Do we have any good character for God to adopt us? Worthy to bear his name? Now we are stupid, basically. But despite the fact, it showed the very opposite. We're not fit for a place in God's family. For the idea of him loving me and exalting me and you, it's not only adopted, he's exalting us, loving and exalting us continuously, although we are foolish. Yet, nothing less than that, that's what our adoption means. God's choice of us is utterly and eternally different. He didn't make us his children because we are prettier than others, stronger than others. Divine adoption is not concerned with physical health, our financial wealth, our potential, our one's own past history. God loves the unlovely and unappealing. God loves because God loves. Why did God love me? Because he loves. He chose to love me. That's all. I'm adopted. Sometime back, I met a pastor in Colorado. For a long time back. When I was young, by the way. And he said, he adopted two kids from India. That was the first week, by the way. And every time the kids went to the bed, they came from very poor are from background, didn't have enough food. Every time, and he showed the kitchen, he opened the refrigerator, bread, fruits, everything in it. You can get up in the middle of the night anytime you want it, open the refrigerator, and you can eat it. Here are the cookies and everything in the shelf. You can eat it. But every time, when they went up to the bed to sleep, they took bread pieces and went. You know what's in their mind? Or what if, if I don't have food tonight or when I wake up? So that it took a while for them to be adjusted in that culture. That culture. We are adapted as sons of God and daughters of God. That's why he says in verse 15, the last part, he says, we call him Abba Father. It's an Aramaic word, Abba means. You know what? Abba means it's intimacy with God. Abba means it's not like father. There may be some things. You can't talk to your father. 
when you have committed some sins. But you can talk to this father. That's intimacy. There may be some things in our lives, in my life, I may not be able to, I may not be comfortable to talk to my wife or to my kids or anybody, even to spouses or anybody. But here is our father, our heavenly father, to whom you can talk anything you want to because he knows all about you and he treats you as his son. And it's also about intimacy. When, when you're in need, maybe you may not be willing to bring your need to anybody's attention. But this father, God the father says, tell me your need. Intimacy. A house got up on fire. Everybody says, there's a child that's up. Come down, come down, throw, we'll catch you. No, he's not coming. He's willing to die. And then his father comes up and says, son, come down. I'll hold you. Father, are you going to hold me? Yes, I will. He closed his eyes and jumped. That's the intimacy. He's our father. He knows your needs. He knows the needs that you and I do not know about about ourselves. He knows that very needs. And he says, that's why every time I pray, Lord, I want this. I want this place. I want that. But Lord, let your will be done. Let you do it if you have something else. Because he knows the best. He knows the best. And then we go to the last section, the two verses. He talks about our inheritance, which is our theme. We are sons of God. We live in the world. We fight with the flesh, not with our own strength, not with our flesh, but by the spirit that is in us, who is given to us by the Father, because we are born into the family of God. We wrestle and we become victorious. And then God says, you will not die, you will live. What's our inheritance? Inheritance number one. We live, we will live. We'll have eternal life. That's number one. Number two, we are heirs of God. We are, elo- we are fellow heads with Christ. And then we are glorified with him. We are glorified with him. Life eternal, you will live. Remember the story from Luke's gospel, Lazarus and uh, uh, Lazarus and uh, the rich man and Lazarus story. Yesterday, me and Tim were going, and there is a, a procession was going to the cemetery. Somebody passed away, so Tim's comment was, "I hope, as a lot of policemen were there on the front and on the back, he must be a rich man. I hope he made it to heaven. He's safe. I hope so too." We get into the life eternal. Rich man and Lazarus died. Probably there was nobody to care for Lazarus. Yes, he died. Maybe the corporation people came and buried him. When Lazarus died, it's all rich people, the pastors, everybody came. Had must have praised how, how good man he was, that he allowed even the poor man, this beggar, to live, and he gave bread and all. But he was in hell. See that? But as a poor man, he was in the bosom of the Father. Life eternal. That's number one. We are heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of our new status as the children of God. And then he concludes. Say, 
we will be glorified. But there's another word that he uses there is provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. That's the 17th verse. We will be glorified when? When we suffer with him, with Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you will have tribulation in the world. You will suffer for me. You're not beyond me. Because I suffered in the world, we suffer with him. Because we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. We'll be glorified with him. We'll be glorified with him. Sharing the sufferings of Christ leads to sharing his glory. His glory. You know, we are rewarded on the final day not because of how many works that we have done, how much work we have done. We are rewarded on the final day. We are glorified on the basis of two things. Number one is because of our faithfulness. Are you faithful to God or not? And number two, how you have suffered. If you suffer with him, I'm not asking you, Lord, send me suffering. You don't need to pray that prayer, but suffering will always come because we live in the body. Our lifestyle is different from the world. See that? We suffer with him. We will be glorified with him. What will be that glory? Paul says in Corinth, I don't know. It cannot be compared to anything that we can think of. It. It's the same prayer Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, the disciples also, whom you have given me, that means all that are saved. Maybe with me where I am. That's in heaven. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Remember, that's Christ's glory. Not only we see his glory, but we share in his glory. That is something I can't understand. That How can I share Christ's glory? I don't know. I'm looking forward for it. Look forward for it. Let me conclude this by saying this. Some of us probably may be living in the flesh. We good Christians, we think we're Christians, may be living in the flesh. We don't have the spirit. How do I know? Do you remember the story of ten virgins? Five foolish, five wise. What's the difference between them? The actions are same. All started to meet the bridegroom. All were attending the church. All have the lamps. Everything. Only difference is they don't have the oil. The Holy Spirit. You see that? They missed it. I want you to live. Have eternal life. It may be time for you and me to check. Second application. Life is tough because we fight with our flesh. I want you to know it's an ongoing battle. Sometimes we want to give up, but we don't give up because we have the Spirit of God who lives in us, helps us. And with His Spirit, we fight and be victorious. And three, fight with the power of the Spirit who lives in us. Overcomers will inherit. It's a battle. We have strength given to us to fight. Let's bow down for prayer. Father God, we once again give our thanks to you at this hour. 
that we could worship you and see what our future will be and also our present. Although it may be difficult at times, but your spirit helps us to be empowered to fight with our flesh and fleshly deeds. Lord, help us to look forward eagerly, faithfully, even if it meant suffering at times a different lifestyle as Christians on the earth. Be within each and every person that is here. If there is somebody here that really is missing, is missing the life, the eternal life, I pray that you would make it relevant, make it you make sure, Lord, that you reveal to that person so that he will receive your spirit. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.